Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 93rd episode of MGG Fast Finance, the podcast that knows how to have five colors of fun. MGG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. One quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed Product with shipping to both the U.S. and to Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether you're building up a new deck or stockpiling on a speculative card. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Cliff Daigle, subbing in for Travis Allen, who's getting married this week. Everybody give him a round of Congratulations, applause. Congratulations, Travis! Yay! Go to Travis and Leanne forever. He's going to have no money for cards now. And we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. So glad to be here, everybody. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is, as always, sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, break down the uh, agenda for everybody tonight. What are we dealing with? Oh, it's a fun one tonight. We're going to start off with our top movers. We're going to see what's gone up. We're going to talk about some cards to watch. You and I have some really fun cards to look at, what we think is going to jump in price over the coming months. We're going to talk about the metagame. We have a pro tour to discuss. And our topic number four is an interview with the pilot of the super awesome five-color humans deck, Mr. Collins Mullen. Alrighty, let's dive right in and get to our top movers of the week. At the bottom of the list, we've got Court of Calling Foils, the original Ravnica printing, moving from $50 to $80. That's up 30 bucks if you were holding any of those. That's a 60% gain. Um, Court of Calling's been out of print for a couple of years now, so it could certainly show up again in the next in the next couple. Um, I think this is a, as good a time as any to exit on this card if you bother to get in lower when it wasn't uh, as favored in certain decks in Modern. I would not argue with that. If you've got extras, go ahead and move them. Uh, but this is it has got different art, and it's the pack foil, which is always going to carry a certain uh, a certain je ne sais quoi when it comes to certain people who don't want to deal with the reprint foils, whether, whether or not you like the art better. Uh, I can see this hitting 100. I don't know that I would get out right now. I think I would wait a little bit longer because the original pack foil is such a small quantity, and it's locked up in so many decks. I wouldn't blame you if you wanted to hold out for 100. The thing is, with the reprint uh, pace that's been set by Wizards over the last couple of years, um, th- th- we have seen pack foils, which at one point seemed like they were inviolate um, under significant pressure, especially when this, you, you get past the second reprinting and into the third reprinting, and foils from two different versions are plentiful. Um, especially since we we saw that Thoughtseize went back to its original art, which means that original pack foil art may not even be safe anymore. Um, all of that leads me to want to get off the train, especially if I've got another target to roll that money into. All right, you're not wrong about that, but I'm going to respectfully disagree with Get Out Now. Yeah, I don't I think, think it's like I don't think it's a huge rush because we don't we know it's not an iconic Masters. We don't have another Masters set preview until uh late winter so there's definitely some time um however we are heading into the holiday season which is basically a dead zone for getting top dollar um when nobody has any money it becomes a buyer's market not a seller's market and sales tend to suffer um all the way through to mid late january so at that point there won't be you know potentially if it's in you know uh the 25th anniversary set 
um, then there could be some real pressure on the card. There's also uh, not a ton of evidence that more than a couple of decks are running this in modern. Um, and it's not really played anywhere else. So, and maybe a moot point. I don't think many of our listeners are holding original Ravnica <laughs> foil quarter callings in, in any great quantity. Um, but they probably a, have, you know, probably have a couple sitting in uh, commander decks around the place. And I, sure. if you've got it, you're always going to keep it no matter what. So what's next on the list? Oh, next up we have foil grape shot, uh, original pack foil from time spiral. Uh, it's gone up from 375 to about six bucks, and it's because Storm is getting more and more popular. Everybody likes to do the math on Storm. I've got this many rituals, it's reduced by this much. Oh, I win. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, the deck we're going to be talking about later in the episode with Collins Mullen, a champion of the parish. This version was from the dual decks edition, uh, Blessed versus Cursed, uh, moved from $3 to $5. That's a 67% gain. That's also the kind of movement that you can't really make much money on. Uh, with Champions of the Parish, you really wanted to be looking at the foils a few weeks ago. Um, but there is some a chance if this deck continues to do well in modern that and doesn't get and the, a reprint is not already on the schedule for the year, then Champion of the Parish that you got in a, on at three could easily hit ten. I think. I think you're right, and it's something we're going to come back to uh, it probably in the interview about how every human is just going to make this card that much better. And they're going to surprise us with some humans. Uh, I, I think some of these cards that are already in that deck surprised me as humans. So this has good legs if it doesn't get reprinted. If it does, it's it's going to nosedive. I'm with you on that. I mean, we can already expect that there's going to be some good pirates in the next set, right? And they're Arr, going to, and some of them I are hope so. humans. All right, what's next? Next up, we have Greed, perhaps the most apropos card ever on the top movers list. We're talking about the Legends version going from $25 to $38. Uh, probably not because it's played a lot, but just because it's an old Legends card. Yeah, I mean, Legends cards, we've seen them under pressure for pretty much six months straight now. Doesn't seem to be letting up. I've seen quite a few cards that don't seem to have any real demand profile um, be defended, meaning that somebody tries to buy them out, some copies flood back into the market, and you see it pop up again on our radar because they buy those copies out as well. Um, if you've got a TCG player seller account, you want to keep your eye on, you know, how many copies are moving and, and, and to how many people, because if you see one guy buying 10 versus 10 people buying one, those are very different market signals. That, that's a very useful, uh, metric to keep your eye on. Uh, what's next on the list? Angel of Invention was one of two cards that I flagged heading into Pro Tour uh, Ixalan that might have a chance of movement if they were suddenly um, played in greater quantity. The other one was Hazaret the Fervent, but only one red deck made the top eight. There weren't that many copies of Angel Invention of the, in the top eight either, but it did do a lot of work on camera all weekend in grindy matchups. There's a lot of exile effects in the standard format right now that, are, that see creatures entering and leaving play repeatedly, um, often to do with Hostage Taker being involved um, and some of the white exile effects like Cast Out, etc. Um, that can set off chains uh, where Angel of Invention has done good work gumming up the board or, or presenting a significant threat and creating some life swing. So we saw that Mythic move from $6 to $11. Um, that's not a card I want to hold on to, hoping it's going to continue to get better in the format. If I was in anywhere in the 4 to $5 range or just pick some up in some boxes that I bought last fall, um, this is definitely a good time to be trying to trade those out into stuff you need for, say, a modern or legacy deck. You know, I'm completely with you. Uh, if you've got extras, bail. Um, it's going to rotate in a year, 
And uh, unless the uh, God Pharaoh's gift deck just starts taking over amazingly, uh, this is probably going to be the high price. It might go a dollar or two more, but let somebody else take that risk. Get out now. Yeah, is it, there aren't a bunch of decks running four of copies or anything, right? Like this isn't. A no, true, this is this is a, a type stable. Yeah, it's a three of in some decks. It's not a given that you'll play all of them. It's got a lot of useful things, especially you know, flying vigilance, lifelink on a hasty uh, four four base. You can get it as a six six if you're bringing it back with the gift. Um, I just think that, like you said, it's a mythic from a year ago. This is its uh, secondary spike. And this is seeing no play in other settings. So don't hold on to it for bigger gains. I also don't feel like during the Pro Tour that the, the few spikes that took place were player-driven. Uh, I mean, there's always a mix of action on that weekend. But I suspect that this was somebody, you know, desperate for, for a spec that weekend. And uh, when, it, when it made it into the finals, I believe it was in Pascal Maynard's uh, gift deck that finished second, um, you know, somebody decided to take a, a swipe at the card. And make a move um but they're going to need to unload those copies to to eat to be able to swallow that profit hole so i'm happy to just kick back unload a couple of copies that i happen to have lying around and move on to other things so tell me about the next thing on the list uh it's a card i actually had to look up um this is sustaining spirit a card out of alliances that is on the reserve list that has spiked from about a dollar fifty to nearly to 325 or so and uh, i'm going to read it to you in case you didn't know what it, it does it's a one in a white zero three and it has cumulative upkeep of one in a white any damage that would reduce your life total to less than one instead reduces it to one yeah this is nothing but a, a continuation of people targeting the reserve list this is not Just, a card that is important and it's also what i would refer to as a phantom spike meaning that even though the percentage is almost 100 percent on paper um, you can't sell things for $3 one at a time to collectors and make any money after time and shipping. So moving right along, uh, Veraska Relic Hunter foils have bounced from 25 to 50 on the back of reasonably uh, uh, surprising standard demand. It is a two or a three of in multiple decks now, um, both uh, the four color and teamer energy builds um, uh, tend to be running this card. And the fact that she can be in play alongside uh, Chandra um, and then go up to eight toughness, eight loyalty right away means they've got to make some really tough decisions about how they're going to direct their damage potential on your side of the board um, before they just get snowballed and, and run out of the game by value. I, uh, what would you do with the foil? If you had a foil and you could move it in the, four, let's call it 45 range after fees and stuff, would you right now, or would you be holding out? She's got two years before she rotates. That's a lot of chances for the card to get good. And I suspect she makes it in Atraxa in EDH, so her foils will be valued there. Um, there's also the possibility that she's going to show up in the Hasbro San Diego Comic-Con set next summer if they're going to continue to go the Planeswalker route. Um, so... Of course they're going to go planes. Why would, they're putting a love story in there, James. Have you not kept up with this story? <laughs> they are shipping Jason Vraska hard. She is going <laughs> to we are going to get we are going to get love struck Jason Vraska is going to be our comic con, all right? Gonna we're going to get going to be is going to be pink hearts and like We're going to get wedding. Is what we're going to do. We're going to get the wedding version and we'll get them altered for Travis and it'll be so appropriate that we'll just have to give up. <laughs> 
I don't know. I think a, a standard myth, mythic foil, because there are no masterpieces in Ixalan, does have the possibility of hitting Elspeth-type levels. Um, but I really would rather her be a dominant four of for a long period of time to justify um, uh, holding on. You definitely don't want to get in on this card at 50. No. So I, that usually means you want to be getting out. I would want to be in on her in a few months. I don't know about the foils. The foils long-term are good, but there's a ton of six-mana Planeswalkers. Her ultimate should win you the game, but it's not a guarantee. I don't think I'd want to be in on these foils for more than hmm, 25 or 30-ish. I think she'll come down to that point if we're lucky. Even then, I mean, percentage returns, you know, from 30 to 50 isn't as exciting as something you tracked down that's a mythic that's going to go from 5 to 30 at some point. So, you know, congratulations if you were you you popped a foil Vraska early <laughs> and you can pay for half your box that way. Um, I find it hard to believe anybody, like, was prescient enough to see this coming and had a bunch of the foils sitting on hand. But if you did, congrats. Um Moving right along, Skyline Despot out of Conspiracy 2 is one of the dragons that people run in EDH decks. Um, the foils on that moved from 450 to 12, and that was a 167% gain. I think this is just a, a function of the fact that Conspiracy 2 has been relatively underopened. There's a ton of value in that set. And even though most of the MTG Finance community is constantly telling you not to open sealed product, Conspiracy 2 is still looking like a very reasonable um, box to open, especially if you're going to like double dip by drafting with drafting it with friends on a Friday night, fronting for the box. Hang on, I want to look up on eBay how up. much conspiracy two boxes are. Conspiracy two, take the crown. Well, if you wait for the, like the 15 off 75 plus 15. sales, you can get them very cheap indeed. And there was a there was a vendor that we called out on cast like six months ago that was running uh, that was selling cases mid seventies ridiculous to like you should jump all over that uh, yeah it's looking like you'd get one in the eighty to eighty five ish range um at, you're right you're just completely right about this I love playing conspiracy too I turned out to be really bad at it I would draft decks I thought were good and would not win but if you hit a foil it is such a jackpot on these uh you got leovold who's the, the big big winner but a lot of the others are amazing like expropriate or uh solvala yeah i popped a foil expropriate in the box i opened and the rest of the box well, it was <laughs> almost double the price of the box in total value and i opened two other boxes on the back of that success um and they were not quite as good. They were maybe like up eighty up eighty percent or something. And then after fees and whatever, you're you know subtract another twenty five percent or whatever. But still, very reasonable if you're who just can kind of person who who, who doesn't love scratching that lottery ticket. It, but it feels so we wrong, right. But, you know, we're all gonna do it some sooner or later. Yeah. So top card on the list this week, Chameleon Colossus Foils from Morning Tide, moving from $4 to 12 Occasionally seen play <laughs> in modern. Uh, it's a human. We should have, we should shifters. ask Colin about it. Colin's about it later. Um, whether or not it's good against Fatal Push, because it's uh, it's not for uh, casting costs or less, and it's got pro black, so <laughs> it's not getting pushed off any cliffs. 
Um, all right, let's move on to our segment two cards to watch. Cliff, why don't you tell me about your first pick of the week? Uh, my first pick this week is in honor of the From the Vault Transform being spoiled, and this avoided it, so I think it's a great target now, is Foils of Dusquatch Recruiter. Right now you can get them for around $9, and I think this has $25 written all over it. Uh, I'm real confident about that, and it's not going to take too long. It should be within a year or so, because it's uh, a big part of the infinite mana deck in Modern, and it is one of the most amazing EDH cards you can be playing. Yeah, I, I've called this one at some point earlier this year. Um, and like Dust Watch Recruiter, it's just a uh, an, a card that fits into some specific... Uh, sorry, <laughs> let me start that again. I too called this card earlier this year. And, you know, the, the ability to go dig up rando cards... Um, is so open-ended in its synergistic potential that casuals are going to want this for ages. EDH, as you said, is going to want it for ages in low-slung decks that that can find things of use. And, you know, it's a great mana sink in those kind of formats. Um, and, you know, the foils are, you know, the fact that there weren't, it wasn't an FTV flip just opens the door up for these to appreciate in price. I don't think it's going to be an instant overnight kind of thing unless somebody decides to push chips in on it. But, um Certainly, if you want copies of this, there's no reason to hold off. Um, they've already hit a local low. And, you know, there should be a, a nice little appreciation over time. I think so, too. I like your picks, too. Tell us about your first one, James. So, Hour of Revelation is the overcosted Wrath of God um, from Hour of Devastation that everyone's pretty much ignoring. Foils are down to $2. But in EDH, this card is uh, super good and probably one, might be one of the top five sweepers in EDH. Um, further down the road, held back only by its triple white mana cost. Uh, it costs six overall, but it, that you get to knock three off if there's at least 10 uh, non-land permanents on the board, and then it exiles the entire board, right? Is it exile or destroy? Um, let me just double check. I thought it was destroy. I always click on Hour of Reckoning. And it drives me crazy. No, it's just destroy. It's just destroy. But you can cast it for triple white instead of six mana if somebody has gone all crazy with uh, ramping their uh, artifacts or the elf deck has gotten out of control. Just get them back in line. Yeah, I mean, this takes care of everybody's mana rocks and everything. So it's an excellent hard reset um, in many situations. So, I mean, $2 foil from a Somerset rare... That's going to see play in EDH. That's a slam dunk. That's that's a ten dollar card. It's going to take some time. That's a slow burner for sure. But if you want a copy, go ahead and grab it. Why not? It's two dollars. Um, and if you you know went in on ten copies at twenty bucks and just put them in a back of the closet somewhere, come back to that in two three years. I think you'll be pleased. You'll be very pleased about that. So I I bought some of the card that you're mentioning next. So tell me about this one. This one, I know you picked it a while ago. I don't remember exactly when, but uh, my number two on the didn't get reprinted in FTV flip was Docent of Perfection in foil. Right now you can find those for around seven bucks, and this has $20 written all over it uh, over the next couple of years. It's really good with wizards. It's really good with spells. 
I thought this was a slam dunk to be an FTV flip. I thought they were going to put the whole Delver uh, medium form, ultimate form thing going on. So uh, since it's not in there, I think it's uh, all hands on deck and get yourself your copies because this is probably not going to be printed for a while. Probably. Probably. Now that they've just gone through all these flip cards in the Ixalan block and in the FTV, I think we're going to be off flips for a while, don't you? Uh, you know, I I don't know. I've have I try real hard not to predict what they're going to do. Uh, they like to mess with me whenever I make a prediction. So I'm going to go with probably not, and it's probably cool to get some flips. One thing that I do know is they used to tell us we can't do random flip cards because of collation errors. That's why there had to be one flip card per pack in original Innistrad. But they've apparently fixed that. So we can get random flips, which is what we got in Magic Origins, and now we're getting in Ixalan. So that was one of the things that uh, has me like 5% nervous because I think if they're gonna print flip cards, they're gonna go for new awesome flip cards and not necessarily come back to old flip cards now that the FTV is done. See, I think most non-core cards, like Fatal Push is a core card. It's going to get reprinted again before the non-foils get a chance to make anybody much money. Um, but Dosen of Perfection is a pretty specific card, and it's not old yet. It just came out in Eldritch Moon. It just rotated, so you know, two years old, um, depending on where you're counting from. And I think that most cards get a three to five year window before they see their first reprint. Um, so, and, and with all of the focus on flip cards this year, I think this one's safe for a while. The real question is whether the wizard decks are going to settle in as um, perennially popular in EDH, or was that just the flavor of the month for fall 2017? Well, we're, we're hive minds, man. We're, the wizard is the flavor of the month right now, except for maybe dinosaurs and pirates, but we didn't get uh, too great of a pirate commander we'll see if we get another good pirate commander in the next is it explorers or rivals next i keep getting them mixed up it's right is explorers yeah. right I, i'm getting i'm getting them mixed up constantly too so don't worry all right okay good we all know what we meant tell me about your next pick james because you're right about this one so vizier of the menagerie foils this is a card that everybody thought was going to be good when they first saw it and then it didn't really go anywhere in standard and so now it's a six dollar foil um but it's already in 2,700 EDH decks. This is the guy that lets you play creatures off the top of your deck. Um, uh, you, you play with your top of your deck revealed, and if it's a creature, you can play it. And th this card is just such a hallmark of open-ended synergy for creature decks in EDH that getting in on these foils at 6, whether you're getting off the train down the road at 15 or 20 or 25, I can guarantee you that... Um, despite not being played in standard, the inventory is already relatively modest. So if you push a couple hundred dollars in on this and just sit on it for a couple of years, it's not going to be your fastest flip potential, but um, I don't think you can go wrong. I think that what makes the foil pick super exciting is that this is exactly the kind of card that's going to be put into uh, some tribe or theme deck that they do in at some point, And people are going to say, this card's amazing. Where do I get a foil? And you're going to say, I've got a whole bunch right here for only 30 bucks a piece, man. Let's make this happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I the only thing that's really going to start like th closing the door on speculation potential and magic, um, given how bereft standard and modern have been lately, EDH has really been the stalwart all year making people money on EDH foils. 
if they started printing a regularly published foil reprints pack for edh like commander's arsenal became a twice yearly set of foils um that would be a different ball game oh my god but, but what would they put you know what we'll get into what they'll put in stuff. there there's, another there's, time there's so much stuff so much stuff they could put in there but until that product appears uh all of these things are are hot specs indeed yeah uh, that's that's where they would put cavern of souls four times in a row <laughs> all right what's your final pick my final pick is a mythic from hour of devastation but not the scarab god i like the locust god uh, right now you can find the locust god for about seven dollars and it's already in more than a thousand decks on edh rec uh i've seen it do some work in a range of decks you don't have to be built around it it's just a good card that will kill people fast and there are some Really impressive combos you can do with it. I like this to hit uh, around $20 in the next 18 months or so, just off the casual demand. I don't think it's going to hit in standard. Is this the foil or the non-foil you're calling? I like the non-foil uh, because the invocations are already at like $50 or so. The foils are a little bit less than that, but I, I don't like invocations. That's my. I'm probably biased about that. I would rather have just about any other experience than have to read an invocations card. I think it's going to be tough for this one to get to $20 in 18 months. The, I don't, we already know it doesn't have standard demand. So it's existing prices is, is driven almost entirely by people setting it up as an EDH commander where wheel of fortune effects are game winners. Cause this thing just gets ridiculous when you're drawing piles of cards. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I like the card for EDH, but I would, I would be much more interested in, the invocations or uh, not for myself because I think they're ugly as sin or the foil, the pack foils are sitting at around $14, $15. Um, I could see those drying up and hitting 30 long before the non foils hit 20. That's a logical train of thought. I 14 is really tempting. I need to go foil up a couple of the ones I have. Yeah. And I think that's the conversation people are generally going to have. So I like locust God, but I think foils is, is our, is our target there. Fair enough. Um, let's let's move on to our third segment, metagame we can review and talk a little bit about what we learned at Pro Tour Ixalan. So uh, you and I were both on coverage this weekend. Yes. Uh, what were your impressions of the tournament? I hate energy so much. Um, <laughs> that was really my overwhelming impression. Um, going in, I was relatively sure there'd be a lot of energy and uh, I was right. And I'm sad that I was right. I don't want to see. This is why we're so enamored with our upcoming guests uh, with Collins Mullins's uh, Five Color Humans decks because it's new, it's novel, it's something else. This, we have been seeing this for a year and it has been stable and it's powerful and it's hard to argue with. And the only question is, do you want to dip into blue for some hostage taker and some scarab, some, uh, scarab god? Or, or confiscation coup. Or confiscation coup. You got to spend that energy someplace. And then, or do you want to stay traditional teamer and just go to town that way? That's your only real decision. And we were borne out by this. Um, we had how many? Uh, one, two, three, four energy decks in the top of eight. Four, two of them went for all four colors because white just didn't do anything for energy. What did white get for energy? 
yeah, there's like the three one for one and a white. The, none of that's going to be relevant. We, we've seen the four colors of energy that matter. But the real problem here is that that anything with energy on it essentially says draw a card in, in the context of the way those decks come together because of the way that they generate value. Yes. It's a free resource. It's a resource you get on top of everything you already get from Magic. You're getting something else that you can spend. It's not mana, but it is an advantage that you can it, it often turns into cards in the case of Glint Sleeve Siphoner, or it turns into creatures coming off of the uh, Virtuoso. Um, it, it can turn into you know major swings in asset allocation vis-a-vis -vis con uh, uh, confiscation coup. Um, and and on, and if the power level of the sets that came after it in the Amonkhet block and through to Ixalan had been at at a similar level, and then though then it may just have been a you know a more binary um, format where me mechanic versus mechanic. Um, and the thing is, like, it's not like this format is too narrow. We're not locked into that problem we had during Theros block of, like, mono-black devotion versus mono-blue devotion. Like, devotion is the last mechanic I can think of that had this kind of energy problem where it was too good in the context of, of how many tools they gave the decks that were using it. But in that case, there was, there was, less exp total ex there was fewer total expressions in terms of how many archetypes manifested in the format based on... Um, how the set design uh, carried forward through the, the season. Um, I'm not disappointed with, you know, the mixture of decks in the top eight. And in fact, from what I'm looking to get out of watching in a standard tournament, um, I want to see technical play rewarded. And a lot of these, the, the way that these decks play out had left a ton of very grindy game states that made for a lot of good gaming. There was you know, you got to see skill put on display and there was a set of very skilled players that made it through to the top eight this weekend. In terms of did they, the pros break the format and show up with a bunch of new stuff that like set us all back on our heels and kicks off a bunch of a rush to go buy new cards? No, none of that happened. This was, there was very few successful specs this weekend. Uh, heading into the weekend, um, you know, the article I wrote, the preview article listed a bunch of good cards that could move if they were suddenly in in three to four decks in in the top eight but if they didn't get there they weren't going to make any movement part of the problem here is that um worlds and the seg tournaments have revealed the format early so wizard's decision to push back the pro tour a full month from where it normally takes place so that the, the format wasn't quote was quote unquote not solved didn't really do anything but because between the mix of information from magic online and from you know tournaments a level below a combination of grand prix and scg events and um state championships went on in the interim um you know a lot of that information was already gleaned and so it looked like a lot of what came to the table this weekend uh aside from that wild white vampires deck that was running around that <laughs> that i think really caught some pros flat-footed like that that was impressive um and if it had gotten there and won the tournament and we'd have be having a different discussion um about how like an upstart team brought white vampires when none of the pros discovered it that would have been an interesting narrative um but instead we're talking about a tournament with a, a ton of technical play so i mean we can we can spend a little bit of time looking at things that you know some signals that may be relevant moving forward the the tournament was of course won by sultai energy playing against blue white god pharaoh's gift um the gift deck was running four copies of angel of invention which is why we saw a movement there 
Um, one of the more interesting includes throughout multiple decks was there was uh, at least six copies of Nisa Steward of Elements that I counted in the sideboards of the Sultai Energy and Four Color Energy builds. Um, you know, a Planeswalker that everybody kind of thought was useless um, is seeing some real play as like a grindy late game card. Yeah, it's really difficult to not do well with what's coming up. Even just her scry too, you have to spend a lot of uh, your resources to try and get her off the table because she'll come down on four or five and jump immediately up to the four or five tough uh, loyalty range. You got to get her out of uh, Glorybringer territory, but once you're there, you're scrying and you're gaining advantages. And if you get to go scry into reveal, if you can have that moment to breathe, the card advantage really gets impressive. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things uh, that we touched on earlier was the combo of the four color energy decks being able to table Chandra and follow it up with Vraska um, and or or go Chandra into Scarab God into Vraska and like really set up just like crazy amounts of power and inevitability on the board. Um, I thought it was interesting that the um, movement away from vehicles decks uh, helped uh, a braid fade out of the format in favor of lightning strike, which can put a game away where a braid can't, um, which has opened the door for uh, a Mardu vehicles deck to finish third. Um, and with the addition of three copies of Hazaret um, and four Heart of Kieran. Um, so those cards are back. I mean, Heart of Kieran is back on the table as, as potential mythic to be watching. Um, and the Jeskai uh, uh, approach of the Second Sons deck was r- running four copies of Settle the Wreckage, which was uh, a Wrath of God that people deemed potentially unplayable because of the mana advantage it would afford the opponent. Um, but in approach, where they really just need to buy the appropriate amount of time, giving the opponent a bunch of lands that don't necessarily translate into threats if they've already spewed out their hand, um, uh, can potentially... You know, set them back enough turns that you can pull your combo together and finish the game. And that's all you really need to do. And especially because there's not a lot of clean answers to the uh, indestructible, terrible thing like uh, Hazaret. Uh, you need that ability to get rid of it or a Carnage Tyrant. This is one of the ways you can deal with an early Carnage Tyrant if they somebody happens to go dinosaur crazy. If Dinosaurs ever actually shows up in this format. I think you'll see people, at a Pro Tour, I don't think you need as much sell the wreckage. You're not going to see too much of that. But at something like a Grand Prix where people are going to bring whatever their favorite deck is, you've got to be more ready for that stuff. If you want a real head scratcher, look at the foil price of Carnage Tyrant. It's in like the mid-20s. Somebody explain that to me. This is a card that's seeing essentially no play. Uh, It's a dinosaur. People love dinosaurs. Hard to answer dinosaur. I don't know. But foils? (laughs) Standard foils, uh, yeah. sometimes people want them. That's I don't, weird. So Jeskai Approach, the other interesting include was two Torrential Gearhulk main, two Torrential Gearhulk board, and only two copies of Approach of the Second Sun. Yeah, they're uh, shaving the numbers. They don't need to draw a bunch of them, especially with uh, Search for Azganta, which I'm really hoping comes down in price because that has a uh, big spike next year written all over it. It Lamock is down to like $20 foils, and I'm starting to salivate. Nah, um, hold, it, hold it in, buddy. Hold it in. I, I have a little bet with Jason Alt about how many copies uh, are going to be in EDH decks by like late next spring. And uh, so far, so good. The pace looks like it's it's been... The card looks on pace on EDHREC.com. So 
Um, I think those foils are going to be a solid, solid target. I mean, it can't, it's not going to be that hard in on the go forward for the plethora of swarm style and token related decks in EDH to quickly flip into a bonus guy as cradle. Yeah, but it, you're not wrong, but you're not as right as you think you are either. If that, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I think, I, I I think that's the accurate portrayal. It's not Guy's Cradle, but it's not garbage either. No, and it's... there is definitely a there's definitely a price point at which I get in on this card because you can do a lot worse than a poor man's Guy's Cradle, given how expensive that card is and the fact that it's on the reserve list. I'm with you on that. I am looking up something that uh, got mentioned but didn't actually see play and has one of the biggest foil multipliers I've seen in standard in a while is the uh, the Inv- Sunbird's Invocation version of the deck, which is right. just uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you go Invocation, turn six, approach, turn seven, and you reveal another approach, and good game! Let's play again. Um, yeah, Jim Casali. Jim Casali's been on this card for a while as an MGD Finance target um, when it was like... 25 or 50 cents for the non-foils and the foils for EDH seem like a, a lock. Um, well, they're already at the, at a lower price. They're $12 um, now. And this is when we have, and I think that's fine actually. Uh, no, that's it. But my question is what's the, what's the, the upper limit on this? This is when we're at maximum. Well, we're not quite at maximum supply, but we've got a lot of these out there and the foil multiplier is 12, 12 on a standard rare. Yeah, I mean that that shows strong EDH demand. When Very you see that, strong that multiplier. So I mean, I think I think the foils were better when they were cheaper. Obviously, well, clearly, um, that's probably if that's that's not a card I, I see getting reprinted. It's such an oddball. Um, that that's the kind of card that can go five to ten years without a reprint, um, and is really would be one of the targets that would show up in this mythical uh, commanders, you know, twice yearly commanders arsenal reprint set that I'm that I predict will eventually happen. So uh, I. I don't. I think it'll be uh, longer than that because they did that to us with lurking predators and uh, these kinds of cards. Like these are going to be relatively cheap in the foil. Like it's a six mana does nothing the turn you play it, and we have a ton yeah. of those. Um, you have to get around to playing some more spells with it, but it fits into so many fun decks. You can do so many fun things that yeah, I. There's a bunch of busted us. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, so let's move on to our final segment. We've got a, a hot guest this week. For our Topic of the Week segment this week, we have uh, the recently um, very interesting deck pilot in the modern scene. Uh, first place, it's the Star City Games Open a couple weeks back. Collins Mullen joins us tonight. Hey, guys. Uh, good to be here. How's it going? Very good, very good. Thank you so much for joining us. We are super excited to talk over the Five Color Humans deck with you. For sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a roller coaster ride for sure. <laughs> so can you, uh, I mean, congratulations again on your big, big win at the Star City uh, Open. I'm assuming that now that you're in sixth place on the leaderboard, you're also invited to the Invitational? Yes, yeah, I, I, I do have my invite, so I'll be there for sure. So I guess the first question is, do you, is, is, is there a modern segment to that tournament? And do you think humans is still going to be in your hands? There is a modern segment, and at this point, I'm pretty locked into playing humans. Uh, I actually played humans at uh, the Star City Games Regionals tournament that I that was uh, I guess that was last weekend, um, and I took that down as well uh, with pretty much the same seventy five. 
Congrats. Um, and then I played in an ICU the next day uh, and, uh, and also won that. So I've been on quite a tear with this humans deck. And Matt Ling also took down one of the classics the week after you took the open, right? Yes, I was actually super pumped about that. Um, it was good to see, like, there were a bunch of other people playing that the deck in that tournament. And uh, I just kind of, like, made everything real after my, my crazy weekend in Cincinnati. Um, yeah. In fact, he somebody else won the tournament uh, with the, the same deck, pretty much, like, validated it as, like, a real thing in modern. Which right. kind of felt good because you know if I if I like take the second I win a bunch of tournaments with it then if it's just one person then it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you know the deck's busted but seeing other people have success with it, it was really exciting for sure for sure so let's let's hit the rewind button for a second here and go back and talk a little bit about how you got onto this deck how you first heard about it and the process that led you to bringing it to that tournament yeah so um, I guess like the Monday before Cincinnati, my roommate uh, sent me this YouTube video of um, this guy playing this kind of crazy five color human deck. Uh, and he had like four ancient ziggurats and four reflecting pools. And the mana base was just pretty crazy. Um, and it was Magic AIDS video on YouTube. Um, and I kind of like blew it off. I was like, yeah, I've seen this deck. A lot of people are talking about it on Star City, but a lot of other people are playing, um, you know, uh, Collect Company in the deck and, and not going for Aether Vial. Um, but uh, kind of like the Wednesday uh, of that week, my roommate like brought it up to me again. He was like, hey, you should really check this deck out. I think that's probably going to be like the next thing that you play. And I was like, okay, okay, maybe I'll give it a shot. And I... I've I've played it on through League on Magic Online and was super impressed. Like the deck, I've always been a huge fan of Meddling Mage in particular, and I tried to fit that card into, um, like a five color zoo build earlier. Sure. Uh, in like a couple months ago, maybe it was, but it was like a fetch land shock base, shock mana base with like tribal flames, um, and the mana just wasn't quite there. Uh, like the cards were very inherently powerful, and whenever I uh, like had draws that didn't have any mana problems, then you know it definitely was clearly like something there. But the mana just wasn't good with the fetch lands and the shocks. Um, is, is that because you're get, you're taking too much damage in that scenario? Well, it wasn't really the damage, but just sometimes you know when you're playing things like meddling mage and a bunch of other multicolored cards, if you've got uh, first of all, it's very difficult to figure out how to. Um, you know, sequence your shock land so that you can curve your meddling mage into some other crazy multicolor card. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe if I had more experience with that or something, I would have done better with it. But sometimes you just like didn't draw the right combinations of fetch lands and you couldn't fetch the color that you wanted. Um, it wasn't really the damage as much. The deck was very aggressive and pretty good at putting your opponent on the back foot. But um, uh, it felt like the mana base just wasn't there. So yeah, just, when I knocking saw you off, knocking you off tempo, yeah, right, exactly. So yeah, sometimes you you wouldn't be able to curve out like exactly how you wanted to, and you had to kind of like make sacrifices based on, um, like so say you wanted to play your meddling mage into your, um, I can't remember exactly who was in that deck, but you, you just like couldn't do it because um you happen to draw some shocks this time and uh you know you've got one of your non blue white shocks. That you have to play and then you just can't even cast it right um 
but yeah, so the uh, when I first played through with the uh, this humans list with the unclaimed territory, that was kind of the card that um, uh, made all of this reality, right? It was the it was the newly printed card in Ixalan, um, and because we're playing humans, uh, we just kind of have no problems with the mana base. Um, so we were able to take kind of you know whatever we wanted to play as long as a human and put it in this shell. Right. So uh, going from then, from eight to twelve, you know, potentially painless city of brasses, sometimes with additional upside, puts you over the top yeah, on, crazy, on, for on sure. mana based ability. Yeah, definitely put it over the top. So my question was, if you have now twelve five color lands, I like what James said. There is a city of brass that doesn't cost you anything. Uh, reflecting pool didn't seem in the cards to get the full uh, sixteen set, or was drawing two in a row. Too problematic. Um, yeah, so that was actually the exact scenario that I ran into. Is that I the the deck that I started with actually did have the four reflecting pools, but the problem that I ran into too many times was uh, I would either have only reflecting pools in my hand and be um, unable to function at all, so that just kind of increased the mulligan rate. And uh, other times I had um, only ancient ziggurats and reflecting pools in my hand. Which is fine for casting creatures, but that sequence just can't cast Aether Vial in turn one. Right. Um, so you could go Ancient Ziggurat, Noble Hierarch, turn two, you know, play you play the Reflecting Pool and use that for the Aether Vial and then they cast another two drop. But uh, a, a vast majority of the time, it's it's pretty important to get the Aether Vial down on turn one. Um, so just kind of a combination of those factors of, you know, not only is it really bad if you only draw the Reflecting Pool, but it's also really bad if you only draw Reflecting Pool Ancient Ziggurat and are on a Vile draw. Um, uh, and then it was just too many lands in your deck that, you know, there are a lot of hands with this deck in particular that need to be able to cast an Aether Vial off of the only land that you have. So sometimes you mulligan to six and your six is great but you only have one land and one Aether Vial to just kind of like kick you off, right? Um, that sounds awful. It, <laughs> uh, it works out pretty well, um, but the fact that Reflecting Pool was, uh, Reflecting Pool and Ancient Ziggurat between the two of them were eight of the 12, 20 lands in the deck. Um, There's just too many too many potential uh, problems for with Aether Vial. So I decided to cut it um, in favor of... Uh, Kind of like a weird concoction of fetch lands and uh, one of each shock and a basic planes. I guess one of the things that helps enable that is that you actually have quite a lot of, you know, you have a core base of white cards here. Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, One of the neat things about the deck that it's pretty important to realize is that um, as long as you have one of your multicolored, of your Rambo lands effectively, uh, then as long as your other land produces white mana, um, then you're good to go on any of your two drops and uh, pretty much all of your three drops as well. Right. Um, so uh, that's kind of why we see the configuration of the other lands in the deck is because um, when I was figuring out what you know other eight lands I wanted in the deck after the 12 rainbow lands, uh, I was like, okay, so what, what are the scenarios where uh, they're going to need to, you know, kind of like carry their own a little bit. And those are the scenarios when you don't have any of the rainbow lands and you're only drawing a combination of the, the eight remaining lands in your deck. So that's why I have the one of Hallowed Fountain and the one of Temple Garden um, so that you can kind of use those lands to cast um, 
all of your two drops except for the kite sail freebooter. The kite sail freebooter is going to need either an aether vial or one of the uh, the rainbow lands. So, so does that make a one drop red humans bar for power level need to be pretty high to make its way into the deck at some point? Yeah, a, a one mana red uh, human is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it definitely makes it more difficult because um, uh, the other good thing about this deck is that um, 18 of the lands cast Noble Hierarch and all 20 of the lands cast Champion of the Parish. Right. Um, so, right, if you're going to put another one drop in the deck, then it's de it definitely needs to uh, probably be either uh, white or green, or you're going to have to reconfigure the remaining mana base. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting here is, I mean, the enabler for all the power you can bring to the table under the human's tribal banner is that they are one of the most prolific tribes in Magic's history. They just haven't really had, you know, this land base to tie it all together. But now that the land base exists in modern, now the sky's the limit, right? Like, over the next five years, who knows how many good humans will get printed. Yeah, I mean, it definitely kind of fits that category of uh, decks that can only get better, right? Um, the Humans is a tribe that I think is a deck now because we finally got enough cards to put it over the top. I think the printing of Kitesail Freebooter was like kind of like the last, um, the last draw on. Okay, now this is definitely a viable tier one modern archetype. Um, you know, I think that Merfolk is definitely you know a, a, another deck like that where. Uh, it, it only exists because the card pool is so vast and we can, we can like every once in a while we get access to new um, new merfolk that are playable in that archetype. And it's, it's just going to keep on getting better and better as, as uh, modern gets bigger and bigger. I mean, I would argue that we probably get five times the humans we, that we get merfolk. I mean, merfolk is a, oh, for sure. a Absolutely. plain yeah, specific drive where with the humans we're going to get. Yeah, Before. yeah. They seem to kind of like throw in humans willy willy nilly in here. And if you look at some of these humans in the deck, sometimes you wonder, okay, you know, did this really have to be a human? Like, Minus <laughs> yeah. Rider is a, is one of those cards where uh, I I definitely did a double take on it when I first saw it in this deck because I'm like, this is a human, really? Everyone but, thought yeah. it was a mantis, sure. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, would Freebooter be as interesting to you in the deck if you couldn't do the one-two punch with Meddling Mage? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if Meddling Mage wasn't a human, then I think that this would still be uh, an archetype of sorts. Um, but uh, I think that it, it definitely pushes it over the top. Kite Freebooter on its own is an excellent magic card. Um, uh, just like, you know, uh, having that... Um, Tide Hollow Scholar effect, uh, even though it only hits spells, uh, in modern right now, there's just so many spells that exist in every deck, it feels like, um, that it's going to be hitting something relevant, right? So, you know, currently in modern, we're looking at a bunch of decks that uh, play some number of removal spells to interact a little bit, or are spell-based combo decks, so play kind of their own proactive spells. Um, I think that this human deck is actually the first like creature-only archetype like even the other the other creature heavy archetypes in modern are all playing collecting companies and court of callings and stuff like that that you can still nab with the kaisel freebooter um and, and does collected company not make this deck because you're so low slung and you don't want to wait to get to four mana so um the the reason i'm playing aether vials over collecting companies is i think um because of the kite sale freebooter meddling mage interaction in part uh, the basic reason is because uh, Aether Vial allows, gives you some sort of velocity in 
deploying your threats, right? So on turn two, you can play a one drop and a two drop. And on turn three, you can play a three drop and a two drop. And that's all happening very quickly. Um, so you'll notice when you play this deck, if you ever have an Aetherbile draw that, you know, if you just kind of like reassess on turn four, then you've been able to very efficiently dump your hand on the board. And that's very important for this style of deck because we're playing disruptive pieces that need to get down very early. So if I'm casting, like, you know, the best case for collect, collect company is you can on, like, you can cast a, a Noble Hierarch on turn one and then cast the collect company on turn three, right? But if you're casting a collect company to be able to hit your disruptive pieces on turn three, in modern, a lot of that time, that's a little too late and your opponent has uh, had a lot of time to kind of enact their own game plan and, and, and do their own thing or, or like stabilize and, and remove some of your earlier threats, right? So the fact that uh, you can deploy these disruptive elements very quickly, like your Thalias and your Kaiself Rebooters and your Meddling Mages, um, it really allows your deck to get under the opponent. Um, so you don't, you don't really want the card advantage that comes from Collected Company. You really want the deployment velocity that comes from Aether Vial in this deck. That makes perfect sense. But there, there must be some part of you that wants to collect a company into double Mantis Rider. Oh, I mean, for sure. Uh, the I played a lot of collecting company back when it was in standard and, and loved every minute of it. But um, uh, I just don't think that humans is, is going to want that element. Perfect. So fast forward a little bit too. <laughs> You're plowing through the field at the open. And yeah, in Cincinnati, what, for sure. Yeah, and, and what's going through your your head as you realize that? This first serious outing with the deck, you're just taking the tournament by storm and people don't know yeah, what Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So um, Nick Miller came up to me at the beginning of the tournament and he and he's kind of the guy behind the scenes a lot on at Star City Games for their coverage. Um, and he says, hey, what are you playing today? And I'm like, um, it's kind of crazy. I'm playing five color humans with no collected companies and no spells really. It's just 51 humans and four Aether Vials. And he was like, uh, that sounds pretty sweet. Do you want to do a deck tech or something? And I was like, give me a couple of rounds to see if I've made a terrible mistake or not. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like I want to, I want to, you know, I want to play a little bit with it and then, and then, you know, definitely in for the, for the deck tech, but you know, I want to make sure that this isn't just like a, a pile that I've brought to this tournament. Right. Um, and then, you know, but throughout the tournament, I kept on sitting down across from elves or, um, merfolk or, uh, Bant Company or Eldrazi or Tron or just like all these like high tier modern decks and every time they led on their opener um, you know like turn one elf or turn one uh, Tron piece map or something I'm like this must be a bad matchup for me right uh, and then I would just crush them <laughs> because uh, I would be able to you know get under what they're doing disrupt them in just the right way and then have an aggressive draw that sometimes they're just dead on turn four um, so, you know, throughout the tournament, I just was more and more impressed with how the deck was performing. Uh, and it was, it was pretty surreal. You know, I, uh, uh, I definitely didn't expect it to be that dominant. Um, but, you know, I think the, I didn't lose a single match that tournament. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was pretty crazy. I got to wow. say, from the finance side, it, it, it rarely gets more exciting because, I mean, modern five years ago financially was a cornucopia of opportunity as people were pushing into the format for the first time and assembling their collections. But, you know, it's you know been a few years now that that 
you know, modern's been relatively stable. We're not really seeing the spikes that we used to. Most of the movement on modern cards is is typically about whether something such and such a card that hasn't been printed for a while makes it or doesn't make it into the latest master set. Um, so to see a like an essentially brand new deck that had, you know, the first week we talked about it on cast, Travis and I were d- discussing how there was like five different cards that, that were played as a four of in this deck that could suddenly spike because they were, you know, relatively unplayed up until this point. Um, yeah, and it, it sounds like that, that ended up being the case for a little bit, uh, at least for some of these cards. Yeah, we've already seen movement on on Ziggurat. I think we're going to see movement on Noble Hierarch this year, and and as I said, Cavern of Souls, Champion of the Parish foils certainly have have dried up, and Mantis Rider foils. People took a swipe at them. Um, would would Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, still make the deck as a four of if Storm wasn't so prominent in the format right now? Um, yes, I think so. Um, initially, I put three in the list because I thought that four was a little crazy. Um, uh, the funny story there is that I, I actually, when I initially loaded up this deck, uh, I, I wanted to cut a Thalia Guardian Thraben, but I ended up for the first league that I played accidentally cutting a Thalia's Lieutenant, uh, which is very bad. <laughs> Thalia's Lieutenant is like the best card in the deck, but, um, I accidentally had four Thalia's and I 5 would that league and was just constantly impressed by how Thalia Guardian of Thraben performed kind of the, uh, throughout the entirety of the league. Um, and I ended up sticking with four Thalia Garni Thraven because of that. Um, it's just so good in so many matchups in modern that, uh, it's, it's one of those cards that you play on turn two and your opponent just size like a lot of the time, no matter what they're playing, they can be playing a control deck. They can be playing a combo deck. Um, there's just a bunch of stuff that re- is really spell dense and, uh, the fact that you can slam a Thalia on turn two into their one mana and they can't kill it um, is is super important. So I, I think that sticking with four is, is probably going to be where it's going to be for a long time in modern. Got it. So when does Dark Confidant come in out of the board? Um, in the in the grindier matchups, like the control decks or against Jund, um, anywhere where you expect the game to go along. Um, kind of the sad part is that Dark Confidant it, you, you bring it in in a bunch of matchups where they have a bunch of one-for-one removal spells. So um, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't, it's not exactly what you want in those matchups. What you want in those matchups is like a Mirror and Crusader style effect where um, they can't kill it and it, it it's unanswerable and it kills them. But um, Dark Confidant is just another piece that they have to answer or else they're just going to get buried by it. Um, so it comes in in the matchups that are trying to go longer and um, are, are typically more grindy. I have a question. Is there a better feeling in modern than Hierarch on turn one and then Thalia the Heretic Cathar on turn two? That just seems like ridiculously backbreaking for whatever they want to do. Like having their non-basics come into play means that that's, their fetch land is no good for two turns. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an excellent feeling. I've done it a lot against <laughs> uh, things like Tron where uh, I'll lead Noble Hierarch, and they go Tron, Map, Go, and I go Thalia, Hereticathar, and they play their other Tron piece tapped and pass back, and I'm just like, this game's <laughs> over. <laughs> take, spring take 12. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Play a Manus Rider and, or a Lord or something and deal you a million damage. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so walk us through 
you know, the next week you're feeling pretty good. You got the money in your pocket. You've, you got a big success um, with a brand new deck. And then you were facing a legacy tournament and, <laughs> and you decided, you decided to show up with humans again. Yeah. So um, a friend of mine, uh, Sawyer Lucy sent me a list that had 5-0 to legacy league. And it was effectively the same humans shell that I played in modern. Um, but tuned for legacy. So instead of champion of the parish, it had mother of runes and um a bunch of other legacy humans like um sanctum prelate and palace jailer um and recruiter of the guard to kind of like find the lock pieces um and then it still played like a bunch of the like it played four meddling mage four freebooter four thalia guardian of raven um some of the lords and it looked really solid and um at the time, this was kind of like in the middle of the week, kind of in the middle of my testing for this legacy tournament. And I had, was kind of like ready to play um, either Checkpile or um, uh, Grixis Delver. But I just kind of, I, I saw that list and I fell in love and I was like, all right, well, I just kind of have to now, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I started testing it on Magic Online, tuned it up a little bit and uh, yeah, I took it to the tournament. And so what, what I know you didn't make day two with it, right? You was it yeah, four and yeah. three you finished? Uh no, I finished uh five and four. Um okay. I, I lost the last round to to miss day two. Um the deck had serious legs, um, but my version of it was misbuilt. Uh so I firmly believe that if somebody who knows legacy more than I do wanted to pick that deck up and tune it, um then that could definitely be a real deck in Legacy. Uh, unfortunately for me personally, uh, Legacy doesn't have enough big tournaments per year to me for me to focus on it that much. Right. Um, so it wasn't really worth my time to continue looking into the deck after that tournament. Um, but I, uh, the problem with my deck was uh, I felt pretty simple and fixable. Um, the, uh, the Legacy version of that deck kind of took out a lot of the aggressive elements. It didn't have any Champion of the Parish, and it didn't have any Manus Rider. It was just playing a bunch of lock pieces, like Sanctum Prelates and um, uh, and kind of all the rest of them. It's got more of a Death and Taxes vibe. Right. So it, it almost felt like this prison deck, where you're trying to lock your opponent out of doing what they want to do while you slowly beat them down with um, uh, your tutus. <laughs> um, right. But I think that... Part of the reason that this modern deck is so good is because you have the potential to just kill somebody on turn four proactively. Um, and that just didn't exist in Legacy. And then in Legacy as well, you know, the decks are more resilient. They're going to find a way to get out of the soft lock that you're putting on them under before you have time to close out the, the game. Um, so I think that if somebody took that Legacy build that I had and made it more aggressive, maybe put in some more Champion of the Parish, maybe put in some... Manus Riders or something. I'm sure there's something in Legacy that exists that just kind of like gives that the deck the the speed that it needs uh, to be able to capitalize on that soft lock. Then I I think it'll it could definitely be a thing for sure. I imagine if Leovold was a human. Oh man, I was really hoping it was, but no. Nah, <laughs> elves elves get all the best creatures in Legacy these days. Yeah. All right. So let me let me run a bunch of uh, humans that you don't run in your list by you. Sure. And, and you can... We'll see if I know call, what they do. <laughs> call, call nonsense on them or not. Yeah. Um, Dragon Master Outcast. Uh, nonsense. You're just never going to have that many lands. Right. Eternal Witness. Um, 
Probably nonsense. Uh, I thought about it. It was on my list of things to test out. Uh, the problem is the um, uh, some of the matchups where you're going to want that style of effect run things like Path to Exile, so you're not really always going to get back what you want. Um, and you don't really run too many fetch lands, so you're not often going to be able to use it to get a land back. Um, and you, you know, uh, it's it's gonna it's kind of like playing for the the late game too much. Like you know, Dark Confidant's good because it's a threat that they have to answer right. immediately, so it has immediate impact. But um, that card is something that you know you're gonna play it and then hope to get value much later in the game. Where I think that you'd be much uh, better off. Uh, furthering your proactive game plan and trying to end the game quickly. Got it. What about Honored Hierarch from Origins? Uh, is that the uh, renowned Noble Hierarch? Yeah. Uh, so, so if he yeah. swings in, he turns into a 2-2 with a plus 1, plus 1 that interacts with Lieutenant. Um, that, uh, no, I, I, I don't think that's going to be Too finicky. Yeah, Too well, finicky. because the problem, like, even if it was a good... Um, noble hierarch style effect. You just don't want more than four noble hierarchs right. in your deck, so there's no reason to play any bad ones. Got it. Tassiger. Um, uh, we we have no way of filling up the graveyard. You know, we we just played the three, and I think now two fetch lands. I actually trimmed down to nineteen lands. Um, so you, you you're never gonna be able to cast that card. Prophetic flame speaker. Ooh, you'll have to tell me what that does. It's one double red. That's a big strike against it, I guess. 1-3, double strike, trample. When it deals combat damage to a player, you exile the top card of your library, and you can play it this turn. That's interesting. Um, I actually don't think that that mana's too much of a problem. Um, I guess the double red is pretty hard. You ha you'd have to have two of your 12 um, uh, rainbow lands to be able to cast it, so that's pretty tough. Um, or a vial. Uh, or the vial, of course, but... Uh, yeah, I, I just think that the uh, it's just never going to get through. It kind of suffers from the um, what's the goblin that's played in Legacy? Um, uh, you were thinking of Goblin Piledriver is the uh, one big hit card in Legacy I think you're thinking of. Uh, yeah, that's the one one that hits and puts a goblin from your hand into play. Oh goblin no, that's Lackey. That's, uh, goblin goblin Lackey. Lackey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I was thinking of. So, Flame Speaker, probably not. How about Glory Bound Initiate? Glory Bound Initiate. Is, that's the 3-1 exert into a 4-4 lifelink. lifelink. Yeah. Um, so, that that card kind of falls into the problem that a lot of cards um, fall into. A lot of people have suggested that I play a bunch of cards like... Um, what's the 3-mana 2-3? Whenever your opponent casts a non-creature spell, they lose 2 and I gain 2. It's the uh, oh, yeah, yeah. the Ka Kabul console of something or other? Yes. Um, right, so there are a bunch of cards that are potentially very, very good in particular matchups. And I think that that kind of fits in that category of something that's very good against burn or other aggressive decks. Um, and the problem with those cards is that this deck on its own is very well suited against those decks already. So I think that this deck has a very favorable matchup against burn. Um, you're playing disruptive elements and aggressive creatures that they have to answer. So all of your cards line up really well against them. So playing another card in your sideboard or something um, to make those matchups better isn't worth it because uh, you know you're just kind of like doing more of what your deck's already good at. I'd rather have cards in my sideboard that are doing things that 
kind of fix problems and holes in the deck uh, instead of cards that are just kind of like reinforcing what the deck's already good at. Got so it. I don't think that that would see play in this deck. So what about Thraben Inspector? Um, that's another one that was suggested to me. Uh, I I just think that it's a worse one-drop than the ones that we're already running. And unless the deck shifted entirely into a bunch of one-drops, like Kithian and a bunch of other stuff, um, and kind of like completely lowered the curve down to all one-drops and Dolly's Lieutenant Mayor Vavrook Salvex, um, I just think that uh, it's it's kind of a, a worse one drop and, and isn't going to ever be better than Noble Hierarch or Champion of the Parish. Got it. What about Deft Duelist? Ooh, Two I don't know. One, white and a blue, First Strike Shroud. First Strike Shroud. Um, that's interesting. So you'd want that card against... That, so that's kind of like fits in the, the type of card that would be good against um, the control decks which is really good. You want threats that are resilient and can be answered by your opponent when that's their game plan. The problem with that card is that uh, one of the major control decks that you'd want it against is um, Jeskai Tempo, and they have Spellqueller. And so, you know, even if you resolved it or got it in through a vial, uh, I'd be very hesitant to attack it into three open mana for my opponent. So, because um, they could just eat it with their Spellqueller. Um so I, I I think that if you know if the control decks shift into something that it plays you know mono one for one removal spells and doesn't play any sweepers, then I could potentially see wanting some sort of um, shroud threat. But uh, currently, as modern exists, I, I don't really see it. Got it. How about Rafik of the Many? Um, ooh, that's an EDH card, but I unfortunately don't play EDH, <laughs> so you'll have to tell me what it is. So, one blue, white, uh, green, three, three, exalted. Whenever a creature you control attacks, it gains double strike. Um, uh, James, interesting. James, I gotta cut you off there, buddy. Uh, you are missing the fact that Rafik only lets a creature get double strike if it attacks alone. Oh, yeah, that might be the nail in the coffin for that one. Mm. Um, yep. four drops are pretty hard to fit in this deck. Um, right. but, uh, so it would have to be something super powerful and giving all of my dudes double strike, I could probably get behind, but just one of them double strike, uh, isn't going to do enough here. The, the, the deck really wants to be attacking with a bunch of creatures, not just one. Of course, uh, Mantis riding, Mant Mantis rider attacking after Rafiq hits the board is what? Eight in the air minimum. <laughs> uh yeah that would be Rafi gives it um Rafi has exalted as well I'm assuming yeah yeah and if you have a um, higher on the table it's ten yeah I mean that's that's definitely a lot for sure <laughs> how about intrepid hero out of the board against Eldrazi um what does that one do tap destroy target creature with power four or greater um oh I, I actually considered some of these cards I considered uh, I think I looked at that one and um. The Black Black Madness human uh, destroys uh, Big Game Hunter. I think it was the one I was considering. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I was you. Uh, I think I might have lost you guys there for a second. Are you there? I'm still here. Okay, yep. cool. Um, you were saying about Big yeah, Game so Hunter? I was, considering, uh, I was considering Big Game Hunter and like a few other cards like that. I think there was like an Assassin card. But... Um, 
the uh, they didn't really make the cut because uh, it required them surviving a turn uh, for the most part. And then I, I felt like uh, between Fiend Hunter and Reflector Mage, uh, I kind of like had that slot covered. Right, um, and those are white cards that fit easier in the mana base. Right, right. Uh, how about Renegade Rallier, one of Todd Stevens' favorite cards from his Value Town build? Um, the yeah, we we're just not looking to trigger a raid too much, so you'd have to draw one of the two fetch lands in the deck, or um, uh, have a creature die, and then it might be good. But uh, I I think it's just not high impact enough. And you mentioned Kithian earlier, so that's something you thought about. Yeah, so I did see somebody running a a humans list, but it was kind of like mono one drops and um, lords. So it was really trying to go one drop into one drop, one drop into a lord. Um, and Kithian fit into that deck. So if somebody wanted to explore that space a little more, um, Kithian's probably one of the best ones that you could put in there. But so, um, it's, yeah, go ahead. So that's like Craig Wesco classic white weenie action yeah yeah super super white weenie might not even be playing any aether vials just kind of like trying to curve out with creatures pretty aggressively um and there might be something there um maybe there's a modern format that you know that style of aggro list is much better but um i think that uh the the current build with the this disruption mix with um aggression is is where we want to be right now all right, one last bad card. How about Notion Thief? Ooh, I actually did play a Notion Thief in Legacy. <laughs> when I ported the Human Second Legacy, I had a, I had one Notion Thief in the sideboard. Um, I think it, that card is excellent in Legacy in particular matchups, but there are no... There, people just don't draw enough cards in Modern to, to for, for that to see play, I don't think. All right. Cool. So we've we've gone through a pile of cards that didn't make the cut. We've heard your <laughs> stories uh, getting on the deck and staying on the deck. And sounds like, um, you know, aside from you already making me a bunch of money on Japanese foil freebooters. Excellent. Um, best thing we can do for you is uh, wish you luck at the Invitational and uh, hope for uh, additional successes for the five color humans list that I fully intend to be running at FNM this season. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Oh, it's great. Thanks having so much, you. Collins. All right. I'm just going to put a little tag on that. Sure. So thanks very much to Collins Mullen for joining us and discussing the five color humans list. Um, Collins, we wish you the best of luck and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you again down the road to see how things are going with this truly excellent new deck for modern. And that's a wrap for this week, folks. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my weekly articles on Fridays on MTG Price. Where can people find you, James? You guys can find me, as always, on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my articles on MTGPrice.com. I would I'd also like to remind our list. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic, the gathering. That's it for today. And uh, thanks so much for having me on James. Uh, let's give one more big hand for Travis for getting married. Yay, Travis. Good job. And uh, thank Yeah. I just love coming in whenever you guys need me to. 
Uh, I think we've got you again next week as well because Travis is uh, heading off on his honeymoon, if I'm not mistaken. I do believe he is heading on a whirlwind tour of Europe is what his uh, delightful lady told me. He's going to. Very nice. No, they're not going to do that at all, but it sounds nice. Thank you, Cliff. We'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.